Man, this is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already should know. Welcome back to The Scoop. This is Season 7, Episode 12 of OwlScoop.com's podcast. I'm John DiCarlo, and we have a full house. Again, Kyle Gauss, Sam Cohn, Dante Colonelli. What's going on, guys? Number 12. Do you know what that means, John? The Ken Stabler episode. Not even close. The Terry Bradshaw episode. Drew Henson. You guys are doing horrible with this. I actually don't even know what Drew Henson were. Uh, it's the Tom Brady episode. Thank you, Dante. I thought I'm John was going to open the show. I know. It's we clearly knew what it was. <laughs> yes. Clearly what it was. <laughs> I, was, I was under the impression when I opened the doc and saw that it was episode 12 that John was going to open the show by quizzing me. And that I, if I got it wrong, that would obviously be very embarrassing. So Drew Henson wore right. number 12 for the Lions. So that's actually pretty good for me. Yeah. Proud of you, Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know who Drew Henson is? Yeah. Who is Do you he? actually? He's the quarterback no, that played at Michigan that um, Brady could never beat. Oh. He later then uh, played, played for the Yankees, and he came back to play with the Cowboys and the Lions. Mm-hmm. I was so, gonna say, yeah. It sounds familiar, but I could not have guessed that. If Sam was ever being interrogated, he would just be terrible. He would just no, no. be the worst. What, would I be, what would I be interrogated about? I don't know. You kind of do look like you're in an interrogation room right now. I know you're in the WHIP studio, but with like the soundproofing, the soundproof foam in the background, I know you look like you're in some sort of interrogation room. If I like turn the lights off and get like a like a lamp, like a dimly lit lamp, and put it right on my face, <laughs> sure. It's like a nineteen fifties noir. Like what is this? <laughs> <laughs> Smoking a cigarette. Stereoty- yeah, stereotypical in- interrogation room. Yes. Yeah. Well, new Fiber. Uh... <laughs> did Sam just put if- this in the doc? Where? Oh, where is my Zoom link? I did. That, oh, that okay. Forty-five minutes ago. <laughs> Hey, the, the, like we, we should should pay tribute to Dante here. He and the Temple New Staff are very thoughtful. They, they baked me a cake for being at, at Temple as the student media director here for 20 years. So that's why we're that's why we're delayed. Kyle's not impressed. He's he's rolling his eyes. He's it has yeah. nothing to do with your 20th anniversary. Congratulations. It's not. <laughs> My anger has <laughs> nothing to do with that. <laughs> I was in a great mood 37 minutes ago. The Braves won game one. Everything's great, and now here we are. Braves and six. Braves and four, hopefully, because they lost their game one start. How do you feel about the fact that they were, like, just climbing over the 500 mark in August, and now they're going to win a World Series? That's pretty incredible. Why would I care about the, the journey? I care about the result. Like, the fact that, oh, I'm like, not, the, I'm not, the fact that I'm they were almost them. I'm saying that's pretty cool. They're the, only, they're the only team in the division that has a competent front office, so it all worked out fine. Yeah, yeah. They, they bet they bet they bet that one of the four outfielders that they acquired or the deadline was going to hit. They all hit. Here we are. In an alternate universe where the Red Sox get past the Astros, does this become a baseball podcast if the Red Sox and Braves are playing in the World Series? I'd feel better about the Braves' odds if they were playing the Red Sox, but here we are. Too no, I I kind of envisioned that. I said like, well, if they both get there, then like, there's the storyline of like Kyle berating Sam. There's the Boston Braves, now the Atlanta Braves, but unfortunately it wasn't to be. And now I got to beat up some cheating team from 
southeastern Texas. Exactly. Anyway, speaking of beating up, yeah, uh, wow, uh, nice. got manhandled by USF, thirty-four to fourteen. Uh, where to begin on that one? So we'll we'll uh, briefly review the carnage of the of the USF loss preview. Saturday's game against UCF. Talk a little hoops, but we've got a short clip here from Alex Odom uh, talking about, yeah, just the missed tackles, all the stuff that went wrong against the Bulls. And I got a pretty, this will be a mailbag heavy episode. We have a lot of mailbag questions. People have questions, grievances, everything in between. So uh, yeah, I, I led with this in my in my story, but it was pretty apt, pretty appropriate. William Quenku said on at least four different occasions, we got our ass kicked. And he was right. Uh, you had two weeks as a staff, if you're Temple, to prepare for this. And uh, yeah, pretty dreadful loss. Um, don't get it. Don't understand. Well, I do understand how it got that bad. But again, it was just sloppy preparation, missed tackles, um, Fans are irate, rightfully so. But yeah, now Temple falls to three and four uh, after seven games. Uh, we'd, pre- I think, all of us have predicted a win, or most of us have predicted a win. But this was—I would have pretty- predicted a loss if I was on. Just saying. Yeah. Why would you predict Temple? A loss? Temple going down to Florida. They've won like two games there in the last eighty-five years. Yeah. I would have predicted a loss. Yeah. Not that fashion though. Yeah. But again, it's we've we've said this uh, seemingly several times this season. It's. Uh, how are they winning? How are they losing? And to get gutted as, as much as they did. So Temple allows 526 yards of total offense and 421 rushing yards. Uh, USF won the time of possession battle, 44 to 35 to 15, 25, which is kind of unheard of. Temple ran just 34 plays as a result. USF runs 94 plays. Alex Odom and Jalen Ware both played 91 of those 94 snaps. Again, the, the, the safety room is a little shorthanded. Amir Tyler is out. We believe it's a hand injury. He put something on social media. They're calling it an upper body thing. Uh, and uh, they, we know that, Jay, that they've been without Deshaun Winston. Here is Alex Odom talking about, as I mentioned before, uh, you, you're going to hear him say here that USF wasn't doing anything special. And it kind of just goes back to that theme of USF taking it to him. So here's Alex Odom talking about Saturday night's mess. So it was just making tackles. That's all it really was. Like we were getting a lot of opportunities to make plays, which we did. We made we made majority, but it's just some of the some of the plays where we had a chance we missed tackles. But it was nothing. They weren't doing anything too special. They were just playing physical. We just got they out, they just out more physical than us. So we just had to play more physical. That's all. All right. So. I feel like we've gone up and down with this team. Not that Temple has had any sort of like emphatic season-defining win. Again, they they've beaten Akron, they've beaten Wagner, they they did beat Memphis. Maybe this isn't the the Memphis program that it was last year or a couple of years ago, uh, but this is uh, this is a bad sign. Uh, I know that I'm not breaking any news here, but again, to have two weeks to prepare for that game and to get gutted that badly, Rod Carey was in a foul mood, understandably so. Um, I know it's the obvious question, but what did you guys make of what we saw Saturday night? I don't get why people are so pissed off. It was a record-setting night. <laughs> Fourth most rushing yards ever allowed in the FBS era by Temple. Fewest offensive plays ever in a game by a Temple team. Most time of possession ever by an opponent with 44 minutes and 35 seconds. They set a lot of records. The scoreboard <laughs> scoreboard was a slot machine on Saturday. No, I mean, it's it was... 
one of the more, I guess I would say disheartening or demoralizing losses in recent memory for Temple football. Um, even like when, like there's been blowout losses before, right? Like even 2019, when they went eight and four in the regular season, there were blowout losses to UCF. This was bad because consider who the opponent was. I mean, South Florida was arguably cut before the week. You could have made the argument that they were the worst team in the conference. And now you might be able to make the argument that Memphis is the worst team in the conference, considering how bad Temple looked against South Florida, how bad Memphis looked against Temple. I'm pretty sure my watch is going off right now with a text message from John that I'm just not going to look at. Um, so instead, nope, never mind. I, no, I'm not I saw kidding. I saw a smirk and I saw I saw text message. Step off. <laughs> <laughs> smirk was warranted. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I I think this is. I feel like I've a couple weeks ago we said this is a crossroad game for the season about whether or not if you win this you have a chance at the bowl. The next couple of weeks might be a crossroad games for the, the future of this program. Uh, I think the way whether whether or not they win any more games going down the road or they win this week against UCF, I think is less consequential than how they actually look in it because they looked unprepared. They looked like they quit in the second half, which they've done in a lot of games this year. Um, and they looked like they lacked in fundamentals. I mean, how many missed tackles were there? 15. Mm-hmm. So yeah. pretty disheartening. Dante, Sam. Your thoughts? Go ahead, go ahead Sam. I, I didn't cover the game live, so I feel like I, I should probably go last on this one. Oh, that's okay. I can, Dante I can was on a, a spirit hike. He was out doing right. coyote in the desert. I was, I was cleansing. <laughs> I, I, needed a, I needed a cleanse of Temple football. That, that's what I needed. One take, I guess, for lack of a better word, takeaway I had from this game, or I guess like post-game thought, was the, the beginning of the season, a lot of what we talked about both on this podcast and just generally uh, was that the thought was probably the defense that the offense was going to be ahead of the defense in terms of like ability to perform throughout the season. And for the first, before excluding the Cincinnati game, I think, you know, before, but prior up, up until the Cincinnati game, in a lot of ways, the defense had outperformed the offense, whether you attribute that to various, to Dewan Mathis injury or various injuries on offense, or just the defense playing better than I think a lot of us expected. Um, wasn't a huge sample size for the offense, they had a two possession. I mean, there was the one possession where it was one play for a 70 yard touchdown, which was about as good as you can ask, as much as you can ask for. And then there was the other touchdown possession where they really just drove the ball down the field. Other than that on 34 plays, like the offense was okay. Um, but they were much better than the defense and the defense was just really atrocious. So I think it was like flopped from kind of, or I guess in line with what we thought was going to happen with a relatively inexperienced defense, they were extremely depleted in their secondary playing without Amir Tyler, without Deshaun Winston. MJ Griffin got hurt in, that, in the South Florida game. Uh, Keyshawn Paul got hurt in the South Florida game. So their secondary was extremely depleted. And their two leading tacklers have been safeties. So without those two guys, their, uh, their seven up front have not been anything special. And their secondary was really depleted. So they weren't able to really do anything defensively. Dante, I know you didn't you, – you saw maybe part of the game – you know, didn't get to see the whole thing, but I mean, there were, there were times I think when they did bring an extra lineman down that people give him credit for, but still just, this is, this is the the exact opposite of what Temple would have, Temple fans would have hoped for. Temple needed to get its run game going, obviously got nothing going when, when you possess the ball for less than 16 minutes, which is kind of ridiculous, but USF did the Temple, what Temple was hoping to do to USF. Uh, bad defense, get the run game going, and instead Temple got got it on the other end. I know it's a it's a, a popular thing to talk about and debate after games when it comes to adjustments, but 
when a team is getting gutted and gutted and gutted like that, are, are you at all ever surprised when a team is, is slow to make adjustments? Do you think it was a lack of adjustments or do you think do I throw this out to Dante or anybody who wants to tackle this one? Do you think adjustments would have mattered on a night when the tackling was so sloppy and the execution was so sloppy? And again, it's another popular thing to say, but yeah, I'll agree with Kyle. It looked like they quit. I, I think it would have mattered. I, you know, it kind of surprised me that they even came out in the three, three, five to start that game. Cause like, Here's the thing about South Florida, right? You look at the numbers, you watch the film, like, man, Timmy McLean ain't going to go out there and throw for 350 yards and three touchdowns on you. Like, leave the corners on islands, stack the box. The only reason that they're going to beat you is if they run it down your throat, they control the ball, and, you know, you can't stop them in the running game. And, like, I get it, right? Like, the 3-3-5 is modern. That's probably where defense is going. Like, I get it. Like, I, I understand why that is the model. I understand why more teams are doing that. If you're playing Central Florida, if you're playing SMU, you know, these teams that really like to air it out, sure, go for it, you know, have at it. But, you know, you're playing a team like South Florida. They have beat an FBS opponent in two years or whatever the heck it is. They got one running back with 200 yards and 10 touchdowns. Their quarterback has two touchdown passes and two interceptions this year. He's at the bottom of the conference in yards. They're not going to throw the ball around the yard on you. They're not. The only way they're going to move the ball consistently against you is in the running game. So, Again, like, all right, you want to come out in the three, three, five and just show them that for the first drive or the first quarter, whatever the heck it ends up being, go for it, knock yourself out. But like, you can't, what did they make that change in like the fourth quarter is when we saw the first time they put four down linemen, like, man, that's late. I, I don't know if it, maybe it doesn't make a difference because they're not good tacklers and they're not good in their fits. Maybe it doesn't matter, but like, you have to try. And, and like, that's got to be a game plan thing. That's really the, the, the problem for me, right, is like I'm not even a scheme guy, right? Like when I scout, like I'm looking for traits. I'm not a scheme guy. If I can sit up here and be like, you had two weeks to prepare for this team, the only way they beat you is if they run it down your throat and you come out in the three, three, five for three quarters. Like I, I like I don't know what we're doing. Like that's like you know, what? Like how did that not? Like how was that conversation not had in 14 days? That's my question. So yeah, I, I think adjustments would have made a huge difference in this game, even with people out even with missed tackles, I think just having more people there just would have aided you like make Timmy McLean throw the ball over the top. And when they brought in the backup quarterback, same thing, that guy's not going to beat you over the top that much. Like trust your secondary, which has been good this year and try and stack the box and stop the run. And so I, I don't know why they didn't do that, honestly. And we're in the territory now where fans say, ask the tough questions after tough, ask the tough questions and you do, but I think, I don't know, maybe, maybe we could hear something different this week if they lose again and lose to UCF, but it's the standard thing. You don't hear, you hear the players saying, no, the game plan was good. We didn't execute it. And then the coaches will say, oh, we got to put them in a better position. Nobody, nobody wants to throw each other under the bus, which is, you know, players and coaches trying to protect themselves. But again, we know that things obviously don't look good and uh, aren't looking good right now. So if we turn our attention to this UCF team, they're coming off a 24-7 win over Memphis. They're four and three overall, two and two in the American Athletic Conference, but they have not won on the road yet this season. So um, in terms of injury updates, Keyshawn Paul, Amir Tyler, MJ Griffin are all up in the air this week in terms of their status with, with their injuries. Obviously, if, if all three of those guys don't play, look, I mean, they're without, you know, UCF has has had to, you know, scrounge together and use two or three different quarterbacks. They, they don't have Dylan Gabriel this season. They're not going to, they're, they're not going to have him Saturday, but still, losing that much from your secondary would obviously hurt uh, Dante. You're handling the preview for us again this week. What do you think of this UCF team? Again, not, not the, the powerhouse program 
uh, powerhouse team that we're accustomed to. But again, you can't take anything for granted now with Temple. Um, I don't think they're unbeatable by any means, but after what we saw last week, you know, they've got a lot of work cut out for them. Uh, what's Temple going to be seeing in this team? Yeah, I think you did a really good job covering it, right? When I was going through and watching some of the games, going through some of the stats, like this is not the UCF that we've seen the past couple of years where they're just this ultra explosive, no matter how good they play, they're going to put up 40. That's just not this team. Uh, they have very much, since Dylan Gabriel's gone out, they've very much transitioned to be like a ground and pound team. They still run the tempo. They still try and, you know, stretch you horizontally with bubble screens and stuff like that. Like, you know, they still have the the old basis of the UCF offense, but they're just quite not that explosive. I don't know if that's the quarterback, different receivers, um, but they're going to see, uh, I, I think just a solid football team all around. I don't think UCF is particularly bad at anything. I also don't think that they're particularly great at anything. Wide receiver room is pretty solid. They've got a speed guy. They got a taller guy. They got kind of an in-between guy. Uh, it's like O'Keefe Robinson. And then um, their taller guy, he's got like seven touchdowns already this year. Uh, you look at their running backs, it's two-man duo there. Uh, you know, they kind of like to split those carries like Temple wanted to do. They have Isaiah Bowser, Johnny Richardson. Both those guys are solid. On defense, their pass defense isn't too bad. Their run defense is like okay. Um, you know, Bryce, Bryson Armstrong, the linebacker, Tatum Buthane, the other linebacker, those guys are okay. Uh, they've got some nice young corners uh, that have some good numbers. So like, all around, I think like this is a very average Knights team. I, I think the Temple can come in. I think that they can score against this team. I think that they can stop this team on defense. The only problem, and I, and I wrote this in the preview uh, when you guys read it on Saturday morning, is like I, I just don't have any faith in them given what we saw against South Florida. It's like, you know, like I wrote in the preview, it's like they should be able to run on this defense, but like, you know, South Florida had the worst rush defense in the America, and that, and that rush defense is one of the worst in the country, too. Uh, it's like, you know, I don't have any faith in them. If they can't run against South Florida, I mean, I, there's nothing that makes me think they'll be able to run against Central Florida. So I don't know. This is a very average team. This is a winnable football game, but I don't have a lot of faith in Temple. Kyle, Sam? Agreed. Um, I mean, I think I think in certain ways, they Temple just needs to completely sell out and try to stop the run in this game to have any chance. I don't have any fear of Mikey Keene whatsoever. Um, even with, I mean, he's a freshman quarterback, even with his stats, all of his throws are behind the line of scrimmage. He very rarely goes deep. I know they are getting, or they're hoping to get Jalen Robinson back this week, uh, the Oklahoma transfer who's been pretty productive, but he's been pretty productive when Dylan Gabriel's throwing to him. Um, so, I mean, I think if you see Temple come out in the exact same formation or in the exact same summer scheme that they did for the first three quarters against USF, then the writing's on the wall with this season this coaching staff and the media future of this program, because I mean, they, they needed to win one of these games, whether it's UCF or USF to have like a realistic shot at, at winning a bowl. East Carolina is a lot better than they were last year. Houston looks like they finally ride their ship. They need to somehow win this game and then hope that they can beat Tulsa and Navy to get to six and six. But uh, like, like Dante said, I have very little faith in their ability to do that at this point. Prediction time. Well, Sam, I think had, you know, contributions to the conversation the <laughs> same uh mix your contributions into your prediction i wasn't gonna add anything groundbreaking but my contribution was gonna segue into predictions that i would just kind of echo what dante said that ucf is very much a winnable football game for temple but based on this their performance against south florida don't have a ton of confidence and if they don't have Keyshawn Paul if they don't have Amir Tyler if they don't have MJ Griffin if they still don't have Deshaun Winston if they're still really that depleted on the uh, on the defensive side of the ball it's hard to imagine them doing them performing better against a better team 
this weekend than they did this past weekend when they were at full health, especially, I guess, more so to start the South Florida game. My prediction, I'll take UCF uh, 34, Temple 21. No, yeah, Temple 21. Kyle, Dante, go ahead, Kyle. Sure. Um, I, I don't think UCF is going to make as much of a deliberate effort to kind of milk clock. I think they're just going to run their offense, um, which Dante said time, like they will still go tempo. So I don't think you're going to see something drastic like tempo only having the ball for 14 minutes and 35 plays again. I just kind of get the feeling that UCF is going to pound it down their throat on this one. You'll see at the end that they have 250, 270 rushing yards. And you'll go, well, this game was never really that close. I'm going to say UCF 31, Temple 10. Hmm. Actually, no. I think Temple's offense can score more points. Now. I'll say UCF thirty-one, Temple seventeen. I got it. Uh, I got it thirty-one to twenty. So we're all in the same ballpark. I don't really have anything else to add for analysis. I just think I, I don't have any faith that Temple's going to put up a, a fight against the run this week. Next, in, next intern we hire, we should just be like, "Hey, your job is to go back and listen to all the scoops and determine who's." Like what's the most commonly predicted score, whether or not anybody's ever actually accurate, because we never hold each other accountable. There's no, not like a record at the bottom like Kyle is one in six in predictions this year. It's never that. It's I'm just so curious like, if any of us have ever been right. Like I've never read about Memphis. Now. Were you? Because yeah. we, if I'm if I'm being completely honest, we record on Wednesday. I forget my own prediction by Thursday. And I don't <laughs> I don't remember anyone else's prediction. So by the time the weekend rolls around, I don't I don't we should start writing these down. The one thing John's good, good about, considering he has, you know, like 17 different podcasts at this point, is like he'll say, hey, I predicted this, so I'm going to stay true to that. For me, whenever I have to do like a spot on something else, I immediately forget what my prediction was before. Mm. So like every prediction is just like I'm just going with what my gut feels like at that moment. John does a Temple football media tour from Tuesday to Friday. Really <laughs> <laughs> after Rod Carey speaks on Monday and after the weekend, Tuesday to Friday, it's just a media tour. Two podcasts, not 20 Two podcasts, the Pat, e- Pat Egan show. The Pat, Egan, the Pat Egan appearance, the, the new podcast with Adam DeMichael, the Believe in Temple football podcast. We're scheduled to talk to PJ Walker tonight. So uh, we'll whatever, you know, WHIP or Al's update show once you're on that week i'd say there's like an average of like three and a half spots a yeah. week yeah. which is good you're in, you're in demand i think i'm feeling like a 28 to 20 game i mean again this isn't anything obvious but if Keyshawn paul i mean i mean at corner if he's out if i mean amir tyler was out last week and again even if he had played i don't know that that makes a huge difference but if a guy like MJ Griffin's out, I mean, not only do they get gutted in the run, but I think some of these, some of these 25, 30 yard runs, like if, if you don't have good safeties back there, these become long touchdown runs too, <laughs> because they're, they're again, you really don't want your safeties being your leading tacklers. And, you know, again, give, uh, you know, give Alex Odom credit for playing 91 snaps and Jalen Ware playing 91 snaps. I think Odom is a, a player to be excited about for the future, but yeah, you don't want, you don't want your safeties being your leading tacklers, but if it's Odom back there and a ton of backups at safety, I think a lot of these runs could turn into ones that just end in the end zone. So I'm feeling 28, 20. Uh, we'll see. Real quick, real quick. Has there ever been a time when Rod Carey has said that somebody's day to day and they actually played? Anytime he says somebody's day to day, it usually means they're not playing. I feel like mm-hmm. he definitely has. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jaden. Well, no, cause he'll kill, have a caveat. Like Jaden blue was day to day and played. But he'll say, like, is progressive. I mean, 
he did say Michael Neese was progressing really well and like ahead of schedule, but there's definitely, but I think Jaden blue is the first one that comes to mind where he, I thought he said day to day that week and he still played. I'm not, I'm not faulting him. Like I think for as far as injuries go, he's pretty forthcoming. I just feel like day to day is kind of his, like it's 25, 75 that they're going to play. He also usually just like, doesn't know on Mondays. Which is fair. Cause I mean, normally there's like, there's a reason these things used to be on like Tuesdays, like, cause then they have a chance people to come in on Monday and get treatment and they get updates, but yeah, which, here is, we are. which is just, just, uh, just eats at Dante. Wants these pressers to be on Tuesday. I complain about it every week. <laughs> every time I, every time I see John on Tuesday, I complain about it. Yes. You're not wrong. Like it makes no sense. <laughs> it should be Tuesday. It yeah. should be mediocre Cordoba food. <laughs> This is the new norm. Kudoba Tuesdays, yeah. All right, let's. Uh, this is pretty uh, mailbag, uh, mailbag heavy pod here. We'll start with basketball. We've got some, uh, got some basketball uh, questions here. So uh, we'll start with uh, these are again from our alscoop.com message boards. This, these first three here are uh, first four here. I'm sorry, are from the basketball message board. Uh, first one is from the screen name What What to You. John Rothstein costs $100 on Cameo. Is the Al Scoop team willing to dish up the money and have him tell Arthur Johnson best of luck in the American and hope the football team has a good rest of the season? <laughs> I'd be evil. I'll pay for it and then do the credit card reverse payment where you like contest the charge. And you say, like, whoa, 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 this wasn't me. Like, I can't do this. John Rothstein and I have uh, never for anything like that. I've done that for him like when I've had like my wallet stolen and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. You yeah. always have, you always have the ability to contest a charge. Yeah. Um, that's called fraud is what I just described. So no, I wouldn't actually be doing that. <laughs> um, John Rossi and I have not been seeing eye to eye lately. That's I, I think we can all say that, right. He's uh... Kyle and John one V one. I'm sorry. Kyle and yeah. Kyle and John Rossi in one V one. I mean, honestly, I kind of want him to block me. Like that would be like a good sign for me because like I'm not trying to just like troll him. I like just vehemently, vehemently disagree with what he's saying. And I think what he's saying is just so blowhardish where like he's just romanticizing, like go back to the 90s and play these regional teams and all that. And that's the reason that Temple hasn't won in basketball lately when that is not the case. Like if Temple was going 25 and five every year and missing the tournament because they're playing Tulsa, that'd be one thing. Guess what? They're not. They won five, six games last year. Mm-hmm. In this conference, the conference is not the problem. They need to play better. Is yeah. the problem? <laughs> I said this. I said this on our message board yesterday, and and this is. Uh, I mean, it's not anything that, that Kyle hasn't said, and other people haven't said. But I mean, I, I I said, you know, stick with me on this. I said Temple needs to be Gonzaga on this. I mean, the the West Coast Conference has never been more than a three bid league uh, on two occasions that happened in t- 2007, 2000, uh, 2008, and 2000, 2012. They, they need to go out if even if Memphis eventually gets scooped by the by the Big 12. Uh, I, the only thing, the only feasible solution here is stay in the American, win as much as you can, earn as much money as you can. Even if ESPN comes back and renegotiates the deal and says, uh, we want to redo this. And even if you're getting three and a half, four million as opposed to seven million it's still worth it. You can still schedule St. Joe's. You can still schedule LaSalle. As Kyle has said, why would you jump from one, two or three bid league at the most to another one and lose a lot of money, have less TV visibility. Uh, and if honestly, and I, I, this is going to sound uh, stronger that I mean it to sound, but like, you know, if Aaron McGee is really truly a disciple of John Chaney, uh, go back to the we'll play anyone, anywhere at any time thing, you know, maybe lead off your, your season with Maryland Eastern shore, 
go out, play Michigan State, play, play Duke, play Kansas, play Kentucky, beat the crap out of your team, get them battle tested, run through your league and go back to the tournament and be prepared to play much better in March. That, that's how you have to play it. There's nothing you can do right now that's going to make this better other than, as Kyle said, win as much as you can, clean up your own house, continue to recruit, recruit better, develop. And again, we'll, we'll see what happens. They have to be better this year. If they're not better this year, we got a real problem. But all of these just hackneyed, you know, the demise of Temple basketball has begun. I don't know if somebody's gassing him up on this, uh, if he's trying to advance somebody's agenda. If he is, it's not, it's not working. It's just, it's just, it's just exhausting. But, you know, that's just kind of what John does, either that or his other thing is he'll uh, – a recruit will announce his, uh, his decision, and then 30 minutes later he'll say per sources – player X is committed to school Y. So I don't know. Full disclosure. I've never met John Rosty. He might be the nicest guy in the world, but I'm just sick of I've met him. What? I think I've met him. I think I've met him at Temple Games before. Really? The know. aura to him. It's just, I don't know. Just, just the I don't same. like anybody. And like, I really don't like this opinion. So like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next question uh, from the message board comes from Park Al. Pretend I'm a soothsayer. And I tell you, I, I like uh, I like this question. Pretend I'm a soothsayer, and I tell you, Temple is a 10 seed in the 2022 NCAA tournament. What's one player prediction for this upcoming year you're confident making uh, with that info? So, in other words, like they get to the tournament, which player has like a breakthrough, like super important season to get them to that point? Uh, we'll uh, we'll go to Sam on this. Sam loves his hoops, and then we'll go around the go around the horn here to Kyle and Dante and finish up with me. Full disclosure: I don't know what a soothsayer is. But I'm assuming like a it's psychic. Like I'm imagining, like there's like a, a an orb yeah, yeah, in front of them. And, yeah, crystal ball. Yeah, yeah. we're gonna okay. we're gonna send you to like a like a like a key terms and key numbers <laughs> clinic. Where it's like I don't this this oxygen thing. What is it? Teach you key terms. Let me teach. I'm gonna teach you events that happened prior to like 2006. And then that's probably a better. That's probably a more. I mean, like Austin class. Powers, like like, like when the program. office when the office got like put on TV is like the A like BCAD moment for Sam. Anything before that is just nothing. <laughs> yes, because I spent all of my time watching the office. Anyway, <laughs> that's not the point of the question. The question: What's one player prediction? Blah, blah blah. I think if Temple is a ten seed in the NCAA tournament, and I and we're picking one player that makes that jump from this within this coming year to the following year. Uh, Oh, I guess, wait, the 2022 would be this season. Sorry. Uh, I think it's, it's Julia White. It, I don't think, I don't think Julia White's a starter on day one. I don't think, I don't think right, right now. I don't think he is. Um, I think just the way the rotation is working on game one, he's probably not there. I think that he sees minutes. I think he's one of the, one of the first guys off the bench. I wouldn't be surprised at all if my conference play, if he is always chalked up to be always talked up to be then, then he's probably in the starting rotation and he could be a legitimate force uh, on this Temple team. Kyle? Yeah, I think that's a good one. Uh, I think we have another question about Julio White in a little bit. Um, but I, I'll just to be different. I've said this before. I think the future of this program for the next couple of years is based on the ability of Caleb Battle and Damian Dunn to coexist in the same backcourt. So, like, if, if you're telling me that, hey, they are number 10 seed in the tournament, means they either went on like a run and won the conference, or hey, they won 22 games and got at large. I think it's because those two who are both talented in their own ways uh, really meshed together and became a pretty, pretty dominant uh, backcourt in this conference. Dante. Uh, I'll take, I'll take Sam's favorite player, Nick Jordan. If uh, 
if he has a big year, you know, he can kind of be that he's like a more of a stretch four type guy. Right. So like if he can come out and, and help them space the floor, I think, I think that would be huge and kind of help them win a couple more games. I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with Emmanuel Ocpomo. I think if he is a good contributor for you this year, it, it means that like they, they just don't have, I mean, we've said this a bunch. They, they have not rebounded well. They've had to rely on guys like Caleb Fowler, guys like Napier Louis. They have not had a great rebounder, a great rim protector. And again, I'm not saying that, that Akpomo is going to come in and average a double, double every night, but if he can make enough of an impact for them, he allows Jake Forrester to do things and play, play differently. Uh, you know, Jimmy, I think Jimmy Fennerty talked about that a little bit. I think if he contributes off the bench and he gives you a spark and you don't just get just, you know, just dominated on the boards, not to say that they do every night, but if, if he can be a guy that can help you compete against Houston, help you compete against Memphis, help you steal a non-conference game and make enough of a presence in the paint, I, I think that will go a long, long way from, because how many times have we covered Temple games where like, they need a stop. They need a rebound. And the ball gets knocked around three or four times. Whoever they're playing against, Team X gets to bring the ball back out, take more of the clock off. And uh, I think if he actually makes a significant impact, meaning, you know, grabbing five or six boards here and there, blocking a couple of shots, I think it really kind of opens things up for them defensively. Guys can take more chances on the perimeter. So um, but I like that question. Good thought provoking question there. Um, Next question here uh, comes from the screen name Melly. This is the Jaleel White question that Kyle was referring to. Jaleel White is a largely an unknown to the Temple fan base. Can you give a hint on what to expect from him and the roles he, Hicks, and Miller will play? Sam, you wrote a, a pretty good story on Jaleel White for the Inquirer. Uh, you've been looking at him, talking to him, studying his game. What can Temple fans expect from Jaleel White? And then uh, what do you see for the, the roles of Zach Hicks and Hysir Miller? Yeah, we've talked a little bit about this, I think, on the pod, but just to kind of expound upon it. Uh, I, in talking to Chris Clark about what Julio White's going to look like, what any of us can even expect from what he's going to do on the floor, I think uh, we asked Jimmy Fennerty a very similar question of kind of what does his game look like? And the the answer is, like, kind of a lot. Uh, not a lot in the sense that he's going to be this, like, you know, they, they have high expectations for him, but not a lot in the sense that he's just going to be here one season and like go to the NBA or anything, but a lot in terms of like, he can do a lot of different things on the floor and they can use them in a lot of different ways. One thing Chris Clark talked about is, you know, he could play in, he could play the forward at a small ball lineup. He could play the four or maybe even the five in a small ball lineup. And when guys, uh, I mean, Justin Gorham's no longer with Houston, but a guy like Justin Gorham would be forced to defend Jaleel. And when Julio, when Julio White steps out to the three-point line, he's pulling one of the best rebounders in the American from last season away from the rim. Someone like Jeremiah Davenport from Cincinnati, similar thing, where he's pulling defenders away from the basket and he's drawing a lot of attention. In a different, in a different lineup where Jake Forrester's in the game and maybe Sage Tolbert and Nick Jordan are both in the game, Julio can then play like the two, maybe even have the ball in his hands at the one in certain situations. So it's, it's that Julio White can kind of be a, can be a real plug-and-play guy for them where he can just fit in with different lineups and in different ways. Uh, and I think that'll be a really interesting thing. His jump shot is not, I wouldn't, I'd probably say he's not even top three, top four shooters on the team. Um, I could probably say that confidently, actually. He's probably not a top five shooter on the team, but it's something he's been improving on. Uh, he's really a really competitive defender. Jimmy Fennery told us that story that last week or the week before uh, about how competitive he's been on the floor in practice. Uh, and I think it was Chris that told me a couple weeks ago that, he can defend the, he likes going at it with Jake and with Sage in the post. He likes defending those guys. 
he, you know, that's, that's the, that's the part of the game that he really enjoys doing. So I'm curious to see where his offensive game is at, uh, at, at this level against these guys and in games within conference play, but it sounds like he could be a real plug and play guy that can fit in in a lot of different lineups for them. Give me the NBA comp. People love comps. I'm pretty sure on this podcast, we like hate comps. Isn't that a comp and everybody (laughs) an NBA comp. I don't have one off the top of my head. I'm going to Kyle Anderson about it though. Kyle Anderson is my cup. Wow. Magic Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) Kyle Anderson, who went to high school where? Is he St. Patrick's? St. Anthony. St. Anthony. Anthony. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know he was from around here. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I I believe he visited a temple game. I I seem to remember interviewing him for something. I I think I interviewed Carl Anthony Towns at Wells Fargo, and I think he was right after. Or maybe I'm confusing Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. That's my comp. He played with Josh Brown, right? Yes. Yeah, that was that year. What about like an R.J. Barrett? Sure. Hmm. Yeah. Or Cam Reddish to an extent. Like they're like we're just yeah. naming big point guards at this point. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. He's going to the NBA, is what we're saying. Blue <laughs> White going to the NBA, one and done. What about Sam? What about he's one and done? He's, he's already sorry been here. Well, one, one. <laughs> season and done. You you you. I don't know. Hicks um, and Miller. So. Quickly, on the note of Zach Hicks and Heisier Miller, I believe it was Jimmy that said both of them have been more impressive than – the, the two of them have been have been more impressive to a lot of the guys in the Temple program than I think anybody really expected, just in terms of the way they're picking up on stuff really quickly. I think uh, – I'm inclined to believe Zach Hicks might be quicker to establish a role uh, in the lineup. Crowded backcourt, Zach Hicks might just be more ready. Um, Heisier Miller, I think, very much is is probably the – the heir to Jeremiah Williams' throne. Uh, I think playing under Jeremiah, I think those two are very similar people. Um, I like very similar like mindset slash style. I think they play similarly, but obviously Jeremiah Williams has four inches on Hasir. Uh Crowded backward, I think just Hasir has, has going to have a tougher time getting into that rotation um, or, you know, finding, finding minutes. I think Zach Hicks can be a real like, smaller than like skinnier than Jaleel plug and play guy, maybe at like the threat, like two, three, four, because he has the size. The question is, where's his physicality at the question with Quincy Adam McCoy, who I think all of us were, were ready for him to be a, a legitimate piece in that rotation last year. It turns out he wasn't, he didn't come along to the physicality of the game and he wasn't really ready. He wasn't there by the start of the middle of the season or whatever. I think, Depends where Zach Hicks is in that. Like he could be a he could be you know a legitimate piece off the bench or a guy that gets eight to ten minutes in a game. Um, I think the the two of them are bright futures. I think this year Hicks probably sees a few more minutes than Miller, but I think uh, High Sierra probably sees minutes in that were maybe out of the backcourt and Hicks obviously plays the wing, but he's a come off screens, pin down, create for himself kind of wing. One one question, one follow up question for you. We talked about this offline. Uh, we heard that Ty Strickland had a pretty good scrimmage against Georgetown. Again, just to, if you're not familiar with the stuff, we can't cover scrimmages. They're closed. Temple scrimmaged at Georgetown, I guess, beat them, whatever the scenario was. If they played a full game, if they played situational stuff, played pretty well against Georgetown. Not that Georgetown's expected to be a top-tier Big East team this year, and then they're going to scrimmage Seton Hall this weekend. But we heard that that the Ty played pretty well. Are we are we buying that, you know, maybe, you know, Ty's shoulder is fully healthy and that he could – play some decent minutes and kind of slow uh, Heisier Miller's entry into the lineup? Or is that just, do you think that's a one-off 
scrimmage performance and Heisier Miller is just going to be the guy that, that is the first point guard off the bench. Kyle, I want you to take it. I hope that's the case. I hope that I hope Ty, Ty lives up to, to the October hype and they're able to, you know, maybe redshirt uh, Heisier Miller. But until I see it in an actual game, um, I'm going to be hesitant. I mean, we saw this last year. He's like Ty started the season fairly well. Like I remember he had like so he played a fair, had a fair amount of run against NJIT. Um, I just haven't seen it yet. So it's encouraging signs. And I think, I think ideally if they had their druthers, they would like that because yeah, you can redshirt high seer. You can kind of bring them along slowly and just be able to give the reins to them. I find it interesting. I, I agree with this, but it's funny that we say like, he's the heir to Jeremiah Williams's throne when they're the same class right now. They're both freshman point guards technically. So like, that's true. There's going to be a log jam at some point um, that will eventually have to work itself out and being able to redshirt him would be beneficial. Mm-hmm. On the note of Ty, um, I would agree. I think, you know, it, good for him if he, if he figures it out this year, but I don't, I don't want to push any kind of narrative that he was just like God awful last year. Right. He couldn't shoot the ball very well, whether that was a shoulder healing thing or a mental recovery thing, his jump shot wasn't there. And right. I think we've talked, we had very much talked about on this podcast last year, a good amount that like, he's getting those shots. He's creating for himself. He's still I, like, I fully admit I was very high on him coming in as a starting point guard at the start of last season. I thought he would be a really good piece in that backcourt just because of his handle on the ball, his the way he can control that offense. And Jeremiah Williams exceeded what I thought Ty was going to be, which is fine. But I think Ty could come in and be a, a, maybe that first guard off the bench behind Jeremiah Califf and Dame Dunn in that backcourt, whatever that position looks like. Uh, but he didn't get minutes because he couldn't put the ball in the hoop. He was still a solid defender at point guard. Um, you know, he was still able to create for himself. The question is, can he shoot? Can he finish? Mm-hmm. And if he can't do that, then, you know, they're not going to play him. And I think that's what happened last year. Is he just couldn't. So the question is mentally, where is he at? And physically, where is he at with his shoulder? Mm-hmm. It's a long season. Like there's going to be a situation or an opportunity at some point for whether it's Ty or High Sear to have to play some really meaningful minutes. Mm-hmm. So yes. here's your opportunity, Ty. Next, uh, next question here, another basketball-related question. The screen name is Vanter, V-A-N-T-R. Uh, who do you think the best player on the team will be this year? I feel strongly this team is being slept on and will finish top four in the American Athletic Conference. Where do you see Temple finishing after being projected eighth? So who's the best player on the team? Where do you see him finishing? Best player on the team is a very good question. Uh, I'm going to give – I want to say one or the other. This is probably like cop-out, but – I'm going to say it's either going to be Caliph or Jeremiah. Um, I think Jeremiah either, which he did a, and on most nights did a very thorough job of running Temple's offense and defending some of the best guards in the American. He was very poised. He was very mature for in 18 slash 19, however old he is, year old kid. In his first year of college basketball, he looked very, very solid. I think he takes a step up and he's a really legitimate uh, a really legitimate contender for like he what did he, he almost he was uh, he got we thought he got snubbed for freshman rookie of the year in the American didn't even make, didn't even make the team right. I thought yeah. he had a legitimate chance of winning freshman of the year he didn't even make the team which was yeah dumb dumb yes uh, um so I just to finish my point I think it's if it's Jeremiah or uh it's if Caleb does come out and Caleb Battle comes out and drops 23 in a game uh averages like 23 points per game starts to look like, you know, a young Shiz Alston, then, then maybe he kind of fights for that role. Fights that spot. 
I, I love the fact you said that because I literally was just about to say that uh, Caleb is, I think, is going to be a 20 point game guy. Like, like I think Shizalson was the last person that could kind of, you could kind of count on like he's going to get you 20 points this game. I think it's going to be Caleb. I think with Jeremiah, you're going to probably, if you don't watch the games and you just look at the end of the season, you're going to say he regressed a little bit. I think it's because he, he's not going to be asked to score as much on this team. I think you're going to see him like, but he averaged like nine, nine and a half a game last year. I think you could see that kind of go down a notch or two. And then instead you see more wing scoring and you see uh, more to Caleb. So I'll say Caleb. Bell. Yeah. Just to your point, Kyle, I think I wrote about this at one point last year that Jeremiah's season from start to finish, there's a clear trend of he was scoring the ball more. And then once Caleb was injected into the lineup uh, with having Dame and Caleb, his scoring, his scoring totals went down. He very much became more of a, defense focused defense oriented player and distributor his assist totals went up and his point totals went down it was just the way his game changed throughout the season so yeah i would agree with what you're saying if you just look at the box score you'd say maybe he regressed but i think it's uh it's more understanding his role on this team dante you have a a pick here uh they i was gonna say caleb as well i I just think that he's a really good like spark plug score type guy like you know he just he can finish he can shoot from the outside um i agree with kyle i think he'll be like a 20 point per game guy especially if he takes i mean it's it's the easy thing to, to cherry pick but again we, we said this heading into the season his ball handling needs to improve uh everybody draws attention rightfully so to the to the turnover in the conference game but i mean if his if his ball handling improves even just a little bit um i think i've said this before he uh i am not saying he's going to be this type of player but the way he can get a shot off quickly and the way he can shoot in streaks does remind me a little bit of Deontay Christmas, the way he can just boom, kind of just pop the ball off. I mean, if he's a guy that can really just, you know, if he can focus on his ball handling and pick and choose his times when he's going to drive in, uh, I think he can really, really, you know, uh, progress significantly. Um, standings wise, you know, again, the team's predicted to finish eighth. Where do you guys see him finishing? I got, I know it's pretty much useless to, to predict at this point, but it's fun. We'll do it. Where do you see him finishing? I think they're higher than eight. I don't think they're yeah. a top three, maybe probably not even a top four team in the American, but I think they're very much a middle of the pack in the American team. I think if they exceed their expectations, there's, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up four or five, maybe like, that's like, that's probably what an ideal season for this temple team is, is finishing like four, five in the conference expected is probably like five closer to that five six uh maybe seven is probably expected and anything below that is uh i'm gonna call it a failure of a season if they're below a six seven if they're below a seven seed yeah i think there's three pretty obvious tiers in this conference i think houston and memphis are at their own level i think smu and wichita state are pretty good by that second tier and then i think yet every other team is kind of in that that junk level, not junk, but like that next level down. I agree. I think Temple could be the fourth, fifth, sixth best team in this conference. I think this season in general is going to have, if you're a Temple fan, you're not going to have as much of a sour taste in your mouth just because I think you have a non-conference in this that you can kind of build some confidence, build some wins. Like they're opening up against Maryland Eastern Shore. Like you, you only had one of those games last year. You played the NJIT and that was your only like, palate cleanser before you went into the conference play so i think you'll see them be on the above 500 team this year and i it wouldn't surprise me if yeah they're the fifth seed in the conference and you go well maybe if they win a game or two in the tournament then they have a chance of doing x y and z I, I'm, I'm expecting a fairly productive season and dante is predicting temple to win the league right oh absolutely yeah best team in the american obviously no um i i agree with you guys i think they're like a middle of the pack 
team. Uh, I think that they can probably be like a five or a six seed this year. I think that obviously, like, I, I think Kyle said, like, you know, you need to see that jump and play this year. Like that is like absolutely needed. Um, but I, I think they'll get it. So I, I think this is like a middle of the pack team. I don't, I think eight's a little bit too low. Look, yeah, if, George, if Georgetown, if Georgetown won the big East, anything's possible. So there you go. Exactly right. I'm going to have one more thing before I, there you go. Uh, before I go to class and that's last year's temple team had, I don't have the numbers in front of me. It was something like four or five games that they had finished games and lost by six points or less. They're a young team. They couldn't, it was a COVID ridden season, whatever. And it was their first time, a lot of those guys first time playing together, but they were in a lot of those conference games. Um, a lot of those games came right down to the end. If another year under their belt helps them late in games, helps them finish games, they're still a young team. They're still going to be prone to mistakes. Uh, and, you know, by no means are they going to be perfect. But if they can cut down on games they should be winning at the end but are losing, if they can cut down on those, I think that that really turns the tide for this Temple team. The stretch last year, four straight games, losses of less than six points, including three on the road. If they had just flipped those and they had been like nine and seven, I'd be like, oh, that's pretty good for that team. It's like that yes. poises them for that next step up. So I agree. Yeah, I think if, point, they can, if they can finish fifth <laughs> and pull ahead of Cincy or UCF, then I think that's a, uh, a pretty good pretty good step in the right direction. Sam has to what, leave for class or do you want to stick around for the rest of the mailbag? Do you have time? I do not. I have to walk to class. If I was online, I would stay for another. I have to walk for class as if he would otherwise be chauffeured to class or put on a, put on a, a or, computer or, or online, or online classes. Like I you said, know, I know. <laughs> just, it, was, it was a bit, it was a bit, you have to bring logic into it and ruin it. So anyway, thank Goodbye, you. Sam. Everybody. Happy to have you have fun in class. Uh, we do have a few more mailbag questions uh, to get to. Uh, a few more here, about four more left, or well, a few from uh, a few at the top of the, the list here. So we got one from Green Street Al is the screen name. Can you, the team, or anyone here give insights to college athletics budgets and university budgets overall? My question is related to Rod Carey's buyout or whatever we pay to move on after this year, specifically, uh, and loss of pandemic revenue aside, haven't we quote unquote saved money from Dunphy being act acting AD? as well as part of the salaries from those who President Wingard let go shortly after he started. I'm sure Temple is very slow to fill these roles regardless. Would a university pull money from others, from other areas to contribute toward a high-profile need like we have here? Well, look, I, I get the question. It would be ridiculous for us to, and kind of irresponsible for us to speculate and say that we know every line item of the university's budget. The, the but bottom, let's do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, but the, the, bottom, the bottom line question here is, or the bottom line thing is, we don't yet know what the thinking is of Arthur Johnson as the new athletic director, more importantly, the thinking of Jason Wingard Temple's new president. And so that the question is, would Temple, would Temple pull the trigger on buying out Rod Carey after this season? Um, I, I mean, that's a, that's a president's level decision, not just the athletic director. I'm not saying that to take power away from Arthur Johnson as the athletic director, but that's a president's level decision and a board of trustees level decision. Uh, I mean, you have to remember that the university did lose money during the pandemic. I don't know how much they quote unquote saved from, from Fran Dunphy being the acting AD. Uh, you know, we, we don't know. We don't know line by line what, what's in the budget here, uh, how much they would have to move around in certain lines to pull together money for, for Carrie's buyout. But again, I think we'll, we'll, 
we'll know sooner rather than later what the what the thinking is. I mean, if they, uh, I, I, you know, I, I think if it was a uh, if it was the same administration, I think Rod Carey comes back. I think with a new president, a new athletic director, I think it's at least on the table to, to talk about. Now, for me, they'd have to really turn things around. They'd have to go out and play tough, like go out, maybe win, finish with seven or eight games, uh, finish with seven or eight wins. Am I expecting that? No, but we'd have to see a drastically different performance than what we saw Saturday night. But again, we'll know what the thinking is sooner rather than later. But I, you know, I think there's more of a chance with it with this administration, but uh, than the, than the previous one to get to the, I mean, to get to the heart of it, but to say we would know every single line under the budget would be kind of ridiculous, but I think it's uh, obviously I know fans are thinking about it. A lot of fans want there to be a change. Uh, maybe you get that with a new administration. I think it's at least, again, it's at least out there with a new administration, but beyond that, we'll have to see what their thinking is. Uh, yeah, completely agree. And just kind of to, cover our own asses a little bit. And I think we've been pretty steadfast over the last two months, whenever this question has come up when we're like, Hey, there's no 0% chance it's going to happen. Like Temple's not doing this. I will say in the last like five days, I've gone from 0% to like, there's a possibility. I don't think it's a probability, but I think there's a possibility. And I think this week, this weekend is really going to help push that needle one way or the other. If they go out and they lose by 40 to UCF and it's just run down their throat and they look terrible then you're all of a sudden you're three and five and then you can lose ECU and you're three and six and you're going to lose to Houston. You're three and seven. And I, I, I agree. I think if this was a year ago and this was a COVID year and you still had Dick Englert and then Fran Dunphy as the people making the decisions there, then I, I don't, I think they would have been fine. Um, but I feel like the cards are always kind of stacked against you, regardless if you're a coach, when there's a regime change, but athletic directors always want their own guy. Presidents always kind of want their own guy. Um, so yeah, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me at this point. But traditionally, Temple doesn't do things like this. Dante, any thoughts on this? No, nah, nothing to add. I'm, I'm kind of I felt the same way that Kyle did. You know, like kind of after that game because we've been like Kyle said, like very steadfast that like that's not going to happen. And and I really believe that way. And I was like, all right, you know, maybe it was always like next year was the year to like really judge this staff and this roster and blah blah blah. Um, but man, I mean, they, they cannot come out and get, you know, shellacked like they did on Saturday night for the rest of the season. And like, you know, the, I think this becomes a consideration. I, I'll put like a, a 25% chance on it right now. Like that's where I'm at with it. It's like, you know, still low, probably not going to happen. Like Kyle said, not, not probable, but I, I'm, it's higher than zero, which is where it was a couple weeks ago. And I understand. So, you know, since we last recorded, they, they lost a, they lost a verbal commitment. Kyle Lewis from East Orange High School flipped from Temple to Pitt, if we're being fair and judicious here, look, it's it's not unusual for, for Temple to lose a verbal commit. It happens. You know, everybody sees the the season that, that Kenny Pickett's having at Pitt. He was committed to Temple at one point, and I think in April of his junior year, then flipped to Pitt not long after that, after his recruitment picked up. So this is, this is commonplace. It can happen. But, you know, what I think, what you could see that could exacerbate Rod Carey's exit would be if you start losing three, four, five guys from this class. If more guys start hitting the portal near the end of the year, yeah, then maybe Jason Wingard and Arthur Johnson say, like, this is this is slipping away from us. We got to have a we have to have a competitive roster. This is bad. You know, we didn't have the portal a few years ago. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I'm with Kyle on that. I, you know, like Dante said a few weeks ago, we we're saying, ah, probably not. But, you know, I think it's uh, 
sort of intriguing and worth looking at. Real quick with the Kyle Lewis thing, I know people are probably quick to be like, well, they got their they got their ass kicked by USF, and then now that's why he decommitted. He told Panther Lair, which is the pit rival site, hey, I've known I'm going to be flipping the pit for a while now. Uh, he actually said he wanted to take an official visit to Pitt in June, couldn't figure it out, and his coaches told him, we'll just commit to Temple to lock up a spot. Uh, so now, four Ooh. months later, um, he's <laughs> making the decision he wanted to make. it. And then you can't really fault him. Like, Pitt has an outside chance of making the college football playoffs. Like, there's an outside chance. I don't think it's going to happen. There's an outside chance. Like, they're having a hell of a year. But, yeah, that never felt like that strong of a commitment to me, and turns out it wasn't. Yeah. All right, so a couple more uh, to get to here. Uh, Dblaze 75 uh, from the message board asks us, who do you think would be the top two options to be the head coach of Temple football if it became available today? Follow-up, would Al Golden and Matt Rule be consulted on who to interview during a hiring process? Kyle, I'll go to you on this first. Who knows, man? Like, who knows who's <laughs> going to be available? Who knows who's going to be interested? Who knows if there's even going to be an opening? I think we just went down the path of saying that there, there wouldn't be. Um, I'll just say what I've said every time this has come up for the last three months. I think if you had the opportunity right now, if this job was open for one reason or the other, and you had the opportunity right now to convince Elijah Robinson to come up from Texas A&M, I think that's a home run hire. I think it would be the situation where Elijah wouldn't be here that long. I think if he was successful, he'd only be here four or five years and go somewhere else. Um, but I think he'd be an absolute home run, home run hire. You can look at the Panthers staff, choose six of them. They would be interested in the job or at least be a natural fit to the job. A name that I've kind of been coming a little more around to is it would help if I actually remembered his name uh, when I say things <laughs> like that. Um, uh, Warren, Warren Ruggiero, Ruggiero, he's the offensive coordinator at Wake. He's originally a Jersey guy. They're just having a hell of a year in their offense. It looks doing things that nobody else is doing. There was a great article, I think, in, uh, I think Pete Thamel wrote recently about them. Um, so those are some names, but we have no idea. Every coaching staff, every coaching search that we've ever covered, outside of probably when Rule got the job. When Rule got the job, it was obvious. Like, Rule is the likely candidate here. He's right. the one that makes the more, most sense. Steve Adazio, I, I had really no idea until until it starts coming, being a final situation. Jeff Collins, same thing. Once it starts becoming a final. Jeff Collins, to be honest, I don't think I was aware of him until he got the job. Like, I think the day of, the morning of, before it became public is when I was aware of Jeff Collins. Hmm. Well, and Todd Carey, same thing. To answer no, so to answer the question about uh, follow up with Al Golden and Matt Rule be consulted on who to interview during a hiring process. I mean, I, I can tell you with with absolute certainty that Matt Rule has been consulted before. Matt Rule, Matt Rule, Rule, Matt Rule um, encouraged Temple to interview Jeff Collins. It got to the point where they had um, interviewed. I think they interviewed Mario Cristobal. They they interviewed or were planning to interview Charlie Strong, and uh, Matt Rule had had said, "Why don't you?" take a look at, at Jeff Collins. I know him from Western Carolina. So I would not be shocked at all if they consulted with Matt on this. Again, I don't know the thought process of Jason Wingard. I don't know the thought process of, of Arthur Johnson. Uh, it would certainly be an intriguing search. I, I agree with Kyle. Sometimes names pop up. I mean, with the Manny Diaz thing, who knew from the get-go that that would happen and that Rod Carey would be landing at, at, at Temple. But um, sure. I, you I, just I, poured a little salt in people's wounds by reminding them that they interviewed Mario Cristobal and decided to hire Jack Collins. Yep. <laughs> because he's doing really well there. Um, so um, I don't know, moving along to the next question here, pretend Temple was invited to the big 12 with the other American editions. Now pretend you are Arthur Johnson as a new athletic director of a bad football program, do you ride with Carrie into a P5 conference or do you try to make 
your mark with the guy of your choosing. Dante? Oh, man. Um, so are we assuming that like... <sighs> Uh, like, are we assuming that money is not a problem because we're in the Big Twelve now? Is that is that the assumption? Yeah, go big on this. Do you do you go? Do you stay with Carrie? Do you go with your own guy? Oh, no, you got to go with your own guy. I think. I mean, I honestly like I would go with my own guy, regardless of if I'm entering that conference. If like money was not a problem, right? If I didn't have to worry about that component of it. If I'm a new athletic director, why wouldn't I want my own guy, right? Like in any situation, unless I'm inheriting a program that is historically successful with a really good head coach and a really good infrastructure in place, like, you know, I, I don't think that there's any situation where I wouldn't want my own guy. Um, so, I, I mean, yeah, in this magic scenario and like, you know, if you're going to the Big 12, like try and go big with it. Like kind of like my answer to the last question was going to be because John and I had a really long conversation about this yesterday, like off pod was like, it's got to be like a rural coaching tree guy here like that that's like where they should try and pick someone out um so i didn't have any specific names but like that's where i would go with it somebody from that tree somebody who understands how to win here and kind of what you know temple should be on the football field i, I think that's the direction they should go and obviously i i i would think that arthur johnson would want his own guy in any situation kyle yeah i i, I don't think the conference part matters in this question to be honest like, yeah, like if they're going to the Big 12, I think if, if Rod Carey wins enough games to justify keeping his job, then he won enough games to keep his job. If he if they sputter down the line, they go three and nine, and you decide to make a move, I don't think a hypothetical move to the Big 12 matters there. It's either you're the right guy for the job or you're not the right guy for the job. Um, I can also completely agree with what Dante said. Athletic directors are judged off of two things, the hires and whether or not they can get buildings built. So like if you're an athletic director coming in, Let's say Rod Carey stays and they go 11 and one next year. That's going to go great. That looks great for your program, but there's also going to be people being like, well, Pat Kraft hired this guy. Look at Pat Kraft hiring. I think we're naive to think there's not ego involved in every decision. And I think anybody's going to want their own guy in those positions. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, last question here. Oh, no, sorry. Second to last question. Uh, Diamond and Broad is the screen name. Which coach will be back next year? the one whose team gave up 400 yards rushing to one of the worst teams in the country or the one who lost a nine overtimes at home on homecoming to a bottom feeder, big 10 school. Of course, he's uh, talking about James Franklin and Penn state uh, versus Rod Carey for bonus points, which coach has the, the higher buyout. Thanks for the schadenfreude, which means uh, the German word for like deriving pleasure on the misfortune of others. So um, I think James Franklin's buyout is around 4 million. I think I can't confirm this. I think Rod carries uh, it, it's a certain percentage of the remaining part uh, of his salary over the next two years. Some people have told me his contract is five years. Some people have told me it's six. Um, I, I think that, so I think in that sense, Carrie might have the higher buyout, uh, which coach will be back next year. Uh, I mean, I guess there's always a better chance that 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 Franklin could come back because he's. I mean, granted, you know they've uh, they've disappointed people by, uh, you know, by losing to Illinois in that crazy nine overtime game. But James Franklin's probably still on pretty solid footing, and Temple, uh, excuse me, Penn State would probably not want to lose him to USC. So I don't know. I guess I'd say there's a better chance of James Franklin being around, but I don't know. There there have been people trying to interpret his body language lately and saying, oh, maybe this is the right year to get out. I'll say Franklin. You don't hire Jimmy Sexton to stay at your current job. 
Good point. It's just about you hire Jimmy. Happen. You hire Jimmy Sexton to find the job that you want to go. Jeff Collins hired Jimmy Sexton, sought out an ACC job. Yeah. Tells this folksy story about I lost reception on the plane, and when I landed, I was the head coach at Georgia Tech. Yeah. You suck, see how that out. Yeah. I think I think Franklin's gone. Whether it's LSU, whether it's USC, whether it's I don't know some job I'm unaware of. I think this is the year they finally make the move. I also think there's uncertainty there. Their athletic director Sandy Barber's contract's up this summer. Their president's contract is up. It's kind of upcoming summer. So this is kind of like a tumultuous time at Penn State sure. that I don't think he's going to want to stick around for. Dante? I agree, actually. Um, that was going to be my point is he just hired a new agent. Um, yeah, I, I think, honestly, I think he'll be the head coach at USC by the end of the year. If I had to guess, like, I, I think that that's going to be the job for him. They need to get somebody in there. I don't know if you guys read the piece in, in The Athletic. I think Bruce Feldman wrote it, I want to say, about like kind of the culture that that was kind of there. They need somebody. and. Say what you want about James Franklin's like in-game decision making and play calling and different things like that. Dude recruits his butt off. He's like very much the young, you know, hip, up and coming head coach. I think they need that at USC. So I, I think they'll write him a blank check at the end of the year. If that's a good decision, I, I don't know if that would be where I would go with it. But um, yeah, I actually think there's a higher chance that Rod is back at Temple than James Franklin's back at Penn State. I know. Just real quick, I know Temple fans aren't going to necessarily want to hear this. I feel like people tend to put Penn State at the same level as like Ohio State as far of a job. It is not as good of a job as like an Ohio State or an LSU or stuff like that. So the fact that Franklin's been able to get some of the guys that they've gotten to go there is accomplishment in itself. So I, I agree. I agree with Dante. I think his actual game decision might be, not be great, but that guy can recruit his ass off. Well, and, and not only if, if USC writes him a blank check, not on just his salary, but if they say, hey, look, we're willing to pay whatever for your coordinators. Yeah, when he had when he had Joe Moorhead as his offensive coordinator, boom, they get a lot better. I mean, they I forget who their coordinator was when they lost to Temple. But I mean, again, I'm, I'm certainly, certainly, certainly not trying to take anything away from Temple. I mean, 11 sacks. That was a fun game to cover. Twenty seven to ten. They just. Matt Rule thoroughly out coached James Franklin. They they dominated Penn State that day. And and you know, obviously a fun and, and memorable time for the Temple program to get that first win against Penn State since the early 40s, what 41 or 42. But that offense got markedly better once he brought in Joe Moorhead uh, from Fordham. Uh, and then, you know, obviously Moorhead parlays that into a head coaching job that he couldn't keep, but I think, you know, might sound like the no kidding statement to make, but I think, I think he's good with good coordinators, but I think if he wants to go there, he'd have to really just say, okay, like, I need you guys to open the wallet for me so I can get a, 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 a knockout offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. As Dante said, he does recruit very, very well, could use the, the USC lore out there to, uh, make it a good fit. So we'll see. Um, then uh, we finish up here with a few questions from C. Coyer, Chris Coyer. Some of these are just in jest. Should John Longacre lease the old dra uh, draft horse and bring something good to campus? Gee, who do we know that's close to Longacre? John Longacre owns the site, uh, owns the South Philly Tap Room, uh, a couple other businesses in the city. I can't say I've talked to John about this. I don't think he has any plans to, to bring any of his places to Temple, but could be wrong. How the rumor I had heard was that the, they were going to put chickens and peats in there. Is the rumor I had heard? I had heard that too, but I have yeah. no idea. I mean, it makes sense. That, that space can't be used for anything other than like a sports bar. Yeah, like it has to be that. Yeah, Dante, what would you want to see there? Honestly, like I live right there, so like I would be down with a bar because like I did not turn twenty-one pretty much until Drought Horse was already gone. Mm -hmm. okay. talk to me what we used to do with the draft horse is go there for dinner at 5 30 and then just hang out for three hours and then you'll card it because well well there. well i i am i am not confirming or denying whether or not i did that i am just saying that the 
that the, uh, the, the two weeks that I had to go to, to drought horse, um, before it drought closed, when I was actually drought. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> when I actually <laughs> turned 21, uh, was not that long. So I'd like to see another bar there. I, I really would. I, I think it would be cool. It's a good, like Kyle said, it's like a good spot for it. Like, I don't like what the heck else are they going to put in there? So yeah, I'd be down for that. Let's do it. I, I bought I bought taps from there. I have like victory taps from the draft horse in my basement. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. When they when they liquidated everything in March, I did I did uh, some like the online auction. So I bought like like victory ones, like the victory cherry and white one, the victory like hop devil, and I have them on this little like uh redwood piece of wood in my my bar in my basement. I didn't know that. Yeah. Good times. That's good. That's good anecdote. My wife also once got kicked out of there for stealing beer. So I got a lot of memories. Oh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Sure, Meg is thrilled. She, she doesn't care. She would tell that story to anybody. <laughs> um, the, the bartender slammed the tap and broke the tap, and it went flying off into Meg's hands. So Meg, getting kicked out of the bar, handed the tap back to the bartender. Oh, my God. Great bar. Uh, I love it. Uh, a couple more questions here from Chris. Uh, another funny one, another uh, somewhat serious one. How many times have the members of the panel been to Insomnia Cookies on campus this fall? Be honest. Uh, zilch for me. Kyle hasn't been really down to campus. Dante, are you uh, an insomnia cookie fiend? So I went once to insomnia cookie this year, but it was not the one on campus. So Mm. it is also technically a zero for me. Mm. Yeah. I haven't been on main campus since, well, since the draft horse, since the paintings of the, but uh, even when I was at temple, like I, the only girl I ever like, from when I worked at the tech center, the only like random person that I ever like went on a date with or whatever worked at Sonia Cookie. I think that might be the only time I ever went there when I was at Temple. Mm-hmm. But it was the truck right outside the sack. I don't know if it still is. Kyle Gauss incriminates his wife, talks about one of his ex-girlfriends, story at a No, we, I did not use that phrase. <laughs> I did not use that phrase to describe that person. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's your thing. Uh, then Chris asks us, have you been after the new AD, Arthur Johnson, for a scoop interview? Have been able to yet. I think he officially doesn't even works. technically work at yeah. Temple. Doesn't yeah. even technically work at Temple yet. But of course, yes, we would love to interview Arthur Johnson. So hopefully we will be able to bring you that interview sooner rather than later. Uh, but uh, that'll draw to an end of this edition of the scoop. We've talked about cookies, we've talked about talked about Meg Gauss, we've talked about speculating about jobs, all sorts of good stuff. Uh, we will talk to you guys next week when we will be talking about whether or not Temple has gotten things back on track against UCF, uh, any recruiting news that may or may not develop. So uh, thanks for joining us for another episode this week, and we'll talk to you soon.